All right, so you've been in a series entitled Don't Judge Me. You've been looking at the book of Judges, and the judges, the stories there are not just interesting, they're not just history, they're inspired by God to help us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, the things that happened to those people in the Old Testament are examples, they were written down to teach us. So this morning as we open God's word, would you say in your heart, in your mind, say, Lord, teach me. Help me to learn something today. Help me to leave here knowing that you're changing my life, that you're making me more like your son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today you've never made a commitment to Christ, and today would be the first day that you realize that you need him in your life, and you say, Lord, I repent, and I put my faith in you. But again, let's be Teachable. Let's be teachable. So turn to your Bibles to Judges 13. Today we're going to be looking at three chapters. You got to hang in there a little bit of, a lot of territory to cover. Chapters 13, 14, and 15. And then next week, Pastor Brandon will finish the story with Samson, Delilah, and his demise and all that kind of stuff. So that is something for next week. A comment about the word judge. If you're first time either here or first time online, the word judge is different in the, in the Bible in some ways. We think of a judge as a, someone in a robe standing behind a, you know, you know, a courtroom and overseeing criminal cases or civil cases. Has, they have the gavel. That's not the judge we're talking about here. The word judge in the Hebrew is the word shafet. It means ruler, deliverer, or even military leader. Now, the goal of those roles is to bring justice. So that's the judges. And today we're going to be looking at the life of Samson. So Judges chapter 13, I hope you opened up your Bibles, either on your phone or your iPads, all the gadgets we have, or maybe you even have a real Bible, okay, that you can turn to. So Judges chapter 13, and in verse 1, the first word, this is going to surprise you, is the word again, 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 the Israelites did evil in the sight, evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Again, that cycle of sin that we've been talking about again and again. This is the seventh cycle for Israel. Remember, they began always the cycle. Israel falls into sin and adultery. Israel is enslaved and oppressed. Israel repents. You know, God help us, we're in trouble. Then God raises up this deliverer, this usually a military leader. And Israel is delivered by the judge. And then Israel lives, or pardon me, serves the Lord and has peace. Now there's a difference here in that first verse. Couple things. Number one, It was 40 years of captivity, the longest period of captivity recorded in the book of Judges. But more startling is we have no record of the people repenting, no record of them crying out. And it's almost despite their apathy, despite their, 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 you know, resistant to, to God working in their lives, God still gives them a judge. And then there really is no no, no real peace. We'll, we'll discover that in today's message. So, let's pick up the story of Samson's birth. And really, it was a mi- miraculous birth. 
Judges chapter 13, continuing in verse 2. A certain man named a certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Dan- the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. But by the way, Samson's mother is never named. It's kind of disappointing because she really is an important character here. She was a woman of faith, and she was used greatly by God, but we don't know her name. We don't know her name. Just introduced as a barren woman. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Uh, There are scholars that say this is a foreshadowing of Christ's coming. An angel appeared to Mary and promised a deliverer. By the way, God's compassionate delivery Deliverance happens in spite of our sin. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. For while we, are still, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And despite the condition of the Israelites, despite the dysfunction of Samson, God was faithful in helping to try to deliver God's people. Verse 4, now see to it, here's the instructions for Samson. Actually for her and for Samson. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You'll become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to, to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Here we have the Nazarite vow. If you want to read more about it, go to Numbers chapter 6. It gives you all the details. But essentially, it involves three commitments of a person. Number one, they're to abstain from wine, even grape juice, even raisins they couldn't have. It was a violation of the vow. Second, number two, they must never shave their heads. All right? Just to let you know, I'm not taking the Nazarite vow. Anyways, number three, they were, they were never to go near anything dead, human or animal. They would be unclean. They couldn't even go to, uh, uh, to see a family member that had died. So basically, you know, Samson was a teetotaler that looked like a hippie and never went to funerals. <laughs> and looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. You know, it's interesting... You know, it's interesting. We assume that he was big and bulky. You know, I always think of Samson as what? The Incredible Hulk. People, and, and even we, next week when we see Delilah, they were wondering the secret of his strength. He may, he may have looked like me, except for the hair. <laughs> Seriously, it was a Nazarite vow. The, the word Nazir means to be consecrated or to be a separated one. And don't miss this. God, God's hand was on Samson's life and he wanted him to be separated. His whole life was to be dedicated to God. His whole life was to be his and to honor him. Let me go more on this, his birth here. In Judges 15, 6 and 7, the, the woman goes to her husband, Manoah, and tells her, Manoah's an interesting guy because uh, slow learner. Um, I don't think he believes his wife because he goes, okay, I got to hear it myself. Look at verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent 
uh, sent to us, come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. By the way, he already knew, but he wanted to hear it himself, right? God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. Uh Uh-oh. Good news. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. So Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. And of course, this messenger, this angel, repeats the message about Moses to Manoah. So you look at the the Bible there, Manoah wants him to stay for goat soup and uh, stay for dinner. And then in verse 16, the angel of the Lord said, replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you do, but if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. And here's an interesting thing. Look at this uh, phrase. Manoah did not realize that it was an angel of the Lord. Still doubting, still wondering. So he prepares this altar, and this is just incredible. And the angel of the Lord ascends in the flame, okay, that's what the text says, and doesn't come back. And then Manoah has like this moment and goes, that was from God. And, and, and this is no lie. He goes, we're going to die. We're going to die. It, it's right there in the text. And his, his, his wife, who we don't know her name, says, calm down. God's blessing us, not killing us. There's a, there's a lesson there somewhere, men, okay? <laughs> Maybe it's just simply listen to your wives. I don't know. But, but then we have this wonderful summary of the birth of Samson, Okay. In uh, Judges 13, 24, and 25, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. The word Samson means sunlight or radiant. He was to bring light and um, a, a new perspective to the children of Israel. He grew up, and the Lord blessed him, and that's a powerful phrase there. I think the, God blessed him in every way, uh, mentally, spiritually, physically. He was being blessed by God. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Man- Dan between Zorah and Eshtelah. So you talk about some with, someone with great potential, someone who had it all going for him. I mean, this guy was Samson. Blessed by God, set apart, empowered with this supernatural strength. Here's a spoiler alert. Next verse, I'm going to drop down to the end of his story. Judges 16, verse 21. Look what happens to Samson. You'll learn more about this next week. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding grain in the prison. Yikes. What happened? How could a person be way up here, all this promise, and end up losing everything? Here is a man that was sent to save that ended up a slave. He was to be blessed but ends up bound. How can it happen? And we've seen it happen. We've seen it in the church. We've seen it with other leaders. I was reading some headlines the other day. I'm not going to give names, but the fall of blank. You know, another Christian leader messes up. 
And we can become very pious because it even happens in our own lives, doesn't it? And it may not be that big of a deal, but I, I think of in my, in my life where I was, thought I had made such a commitment and my, my heart was into something and then all of a sudden I get distracted and I fall short. One commentator wrote this about Samson. This is not a pretty picture. I'm going to read it to you. It's a little long, but here it is, okay, about Samson. Samson may be the first total narcissist in Scripture. He is a textbook case. Narcissists misjudge their own importance and consider themselves to be indispensable and worthy of special rights and privileges. When opposed, they are furious and blame everyone around them. They infuriate other people. And their excessive pride causes others to work even harder just to cut them down and see them humiliated. While thinking themselves sophisticated and shrewd, they are actually more gullible than the average person. They are betrayed by the very people they think they can trust. Finally, they believe they are destined for greatness. And when crossed, they react with revenge and violence, even at the risk of their own lives. The fall of a leader... So this morning, the heart of my message is here. Three flaws of a fallen leader. We're going to talk about three flaws very briefly. Number one, are you ready? Here it is. Number one flaw we see in Samson's life is this, and that is willful compromise. Willful compromise. Knowing what we need to be doing that God makes clear to us and not doing it. Knowing what God is, is... Directing us to do and fudging, rationalizing, justifying, doing our own thing rather than God's. The first five words of Judges, look at them. Samson went down to Timnah. I don't think Samson woke up some morning and just said, I'm just going to blow my life. I'm just going to be this playboy, out of control guy. But those five words indicate a direction that would affect the rest of Samson's life. Because he went to Timnah, not to check out the enemy, but to check out the women. We find that out. Just to give you a quick geography lesson, it's there on the screen. Um, The Israelites and the Philistines were separated by this valley called the Valley of Sorek. And in chapter 13, verse 25, let's go back there. It says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahane, Dan, right between Zorah and Ashtol. And so there's this region, and this is, by the way, if you look at the map, is well within the boundaries of the promised land. But he crosses over, he crosses over to Timnah. It's called he compromised. He compromised. In fact, um, there are three examples of crossing the line in the life of, of Samson. He crossed the line geographically and morally here in, in Judges 14.1. Then in J- Judges 16.1, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And then Judges 16.4, guess what? Guess where Delilah was from? The Valley of Sorak. Sometime later he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorak whose name was Delilah. Compromising. Compromising. So verse verse, uh, 2 there. So Samson went, verse 1 and 2, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a Philistine woman 
When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. All right? Problem here. Instead of plotting a war, he was preparing for a wedding. Completely off track. What God would have him do. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives, our own people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's right for me. All right? The Hebrew little, little means get her for me because she pleases me. She's hot. Okay? Um, Samson has completely lost his sense of perspective. By the way, there, there's a real danger of allowing our passion and feelings to control us. We live in a culture that really teaches and believes if I feel something, it must be okay. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't always okay. Never trust your feelings, okay? Make sure you do a double check on, on that. Now, here we get into uh, a juxtaposition, a tension that I can't fully explain. Because in verse 4, I don't, I don't have it on the screen, but he goes down to marry this non-Jewish woman, which is clearly a violation of the Bible, okay? They're not to, Jews are not to intermarry with uncircumcised people, period, okay? But in verse 4, if you have your Bibles open, it says, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So get this, even though Samson was doing something clearly against God's perfect will, God was able to use it in spite of him. And we see this in the book or in, in the story of Samson. Three times, get this, three times in three chapters, he goes and gets involved in a woman with women, including a prostitute. Three times in three chapters, he loses complete control of his temper and he just has a fits, fits of rage. But three times in three chapters, we see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon him. I don't know. I don't get it. This is definitely something, this is not a, a model you can follow, by the way. But in spite of his disobedience, God still was sovereign and providential in, in Samson's life. So let's pick up the story in verse 5. Are you, are you tracking with me? I know there's a lot of scripture here, and so just kind of, all right. Verse 5, Judges chapter 14, verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. It almost seems like at this point the parents are complicit. Hey, I guess you're going to marry him. As he approached the vineyards of Timnah, by the way, there should be a little bit of a, a, a warning sign here. You're like, eh, eh. what are you doing going to vineyards? You know, wasn't one of your... Vows not to get, you know, take something of the vine. It's like an alcoholic. Now we're going to the bar, you know. It's just, the, again, signs of compromise. Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The spirit, there it is, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman and this just cracks me up. And he liked her. Uh, okay, I'm going to marry her. I, I, like, I like you. It's okay. It's just a funny. 
So later, when he went back to marry her, he, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped up the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. What happened? He broke a Nazarite vow. He is never to what? Touch anything dead. He is never to touch anything dead. There's an there's a interesting thing going on here. The honey was sweet. D- did you know that temptation can be seen as very sweet? Sin can look... The Bible says sin can be pleasing for a season. All right? I guess if sin wasn't pleasing, we wouldn't be doing it, right? But that sweetness was tempting, and he took it from this dead carcass, and then notice... He did what with it? He ate it and then went, well, look at the text. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some and they ate it too, but he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Let me give you an indication of compromise in our life. Here it is. We start hiding things. We start hiding things. He didn't tell his parents about the lion. He didn't tell his parents about the honey. He didn't tell them where he got it. He didn't tell them he had touched something unclean. He hid it from others. And when when we get to a point where we're concealing and hiding things, we know we've crossed the line and we're starting to compromise. Here's a quote. Spiritual death happens one compromise at a time. One compromise at a time. So in Judges, it goes on in chapter 10. It it, it, uh, tells according to the custom of the day, they had about 30 young men invited to the wedding, and they had this seven-day feast. In Hebrew, the word feast is the word mishte. It literally means, here it is, a week of festivities and drinking, all right? In fact, the word uh, mishte could also be interpreted as, as drinking, drinking alcohol. So they basically had the seven-day day binge drinking. There's no indication that, that Samson did it, but maybe he did. Here, here's what I think alcohol became an issue in Samson's life. I mean, how in the world, and maybe I'm messing up Pastor Brandon's sermon, but how in the world can someone cut your hair without you knowing it? When my wife cut my hair in the middle of the night while I was sleeping, I, I, I woke up. No, I'm just joking. Um, I mean, you can't, I, I think maybe he did drink. Maybe he was intoxicated. We don't know that. We can only sur- surmise. But there was this party time, and in the ancient world, during these, these feasts, these wedding feasts, it was, it was very common to have riddles. And so Samson was pretty smug and thought, these, Philistine, these Philistines are dummies. I'm going to give them a riddle about the line. All right? And he gives them a wager. Look at verse 12. It's not on the screen, but in your Bibles, verse 12. I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linens and garments and 30 sets of clothes. And the riddle went like this. Here's a riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And we know what that meant, that that honey and the carcass of the lion. So he says, hey, if you get it, you you get the prize. Well, they couldn't figure it out. By the fourth day, they go to his wife, It's in the text there, and they actually threaten her. If you don't get Samson to tell us the answer to the riddle, we're going to destroy your family. And so Samson's wife here starts to 
cry and whine and, and just plead with him. And finally, Samson tells, in fact, Simon, Samson says, I haven't even told my parents. Why should I tell you? But he, he breaks down and tells her the answer to the riddle. And she tells the people of the, the Philistines. And then on the evening of the seventh day, they come back and give Samson the answer. It's a lion, isn't it? And he goes, what? And the text says that he was furious. He was furious. That brings us to the second flaw, all right? The second flaw is this, and that is vengeful anger. Flaw number one, willful compromise. Flaw number two, vengeful anger. Now, some of you, if you've been brought up to church, um, we, our, our first re- response was, yeah, but not all anger is sin. I get it. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 says, uh, be angry with, and, and do it without sin and don't let anger go, you know, the, the, the sun going down and all that stuff, all right? And there is an anger that we should have. We should be angry about injustice. We should be angry about, about sin. We should be angry about things that are not right in our world, right? But when we look at Samson's anger, I don't read any sense of him being interested in others. I have no sense of him thinking about delivering God's people. It's all about himself, his anger, his frustration. James 1.20 says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And we see a very bitter person, a very bitter person in the life of Samson. Let me just give you some examples of the things that he said. Judges 15.3, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to what? To get even with those Philistines. I will really harm them. Judges 15, 7, since you've acted this way, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. Judges 15, 11, he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. By the way, anger always escalates things. That's true in our, our homes, it's true in our relationships, it's true at work, it always escalates things, and you see it going on. Tit for tat. You did this to me, I'm going to do that to you. It's amazing how... And, and anger's not always so overt. You know, we've, we've, we can become sophisticated. We can keep that anger down. We can look like everything's going, but we are seething inside. Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Anger. Vengeful anger. Let me just give some context and some examples for the story because we want to look back at what happened to Samson. Three examples. First of all, he killed 30 men for their clothes. Yes, that's what he did. When he lost the bet, he went into Gaza and he killed... And by the way, these guys had nothing to do with the wedding and takes their clothes and gives them as, you know, a reward. Look at, it's there, Judges 14, 18, and 19. Samson replied, if you haven't plowed with, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have found the answer to my riddle. By the the way, he's referring to his wife there. Just, just, this is, this is free, okay? 
this is some advice regarding marriage. Here it is. Don't call your wife a heifer. Okay. Some of you, you just came for that one word, one application for your life. Don't call your... So he's, of course, implying that they messed with his wife and found the, uh, found the riddle. And here we have it. Then the spirit of the Lord powerfully took control of them. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, which is in Gaza, killed 30 men, took their belongings, and gave their clothing to the men who had answered his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened and went back home to live with his father and mother. You know, I, I have a hunch that Samson was just a spoiled kid. He was, he was spoiled. He was a mama's baby, I think. That's just my opinion. Again, I don't know that. So he goes back to mom and dad, and it gets worse here. So the dad, the, the, the father of the bride, thinks that Samson's done. I mean, he was so mad, he left and went back uh, into the region of Dan. He gives his wife to his companion, which most scholars think was his best man. And in chapter 15, he returns uh, this verse is not in the screen, on the screen, but he goes to her house to try to patch things up, and he's pretty serious. Um, it says that he took along a, a goat to present to her. I don't know. Ladies, what, uh, what about the dozen roses? I mean, but a goat. Okay, he brings the goat, and he's going to go to her room. I mean, this is, a, this is going to be a time of intimacy. And the father stops him and says, oh, man, I... I didn't think you were going to come back. She's married to this other guy. And he, again, was ticked off. Okay, he was furious. Judges, I mean, you'd be too, right? Judges 15, 4 through 7. So he went out and caught 300 foxes and tied them tail to tail in pairs. Then he fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches, and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. Bet the foxes love that, right? But by the way, this is the first mention in history of tailgates. All right? Or, or tail lights. Tail lights, yes. He burned up the shocks and standing grain together with vineyards and olive grapes. Anger, vengeful anger. One more, the third example. He killed a thousand people with a donkey's jawbone. I mean, what happened with that is amazing feat. The context is, it says in, in verse 11, 3,000 men went up after Samson. It seems like that's a little overkill. Um, they were people of the Danites, and 3,000? Someone said it was like, uh, you know, swatting a, a mosquito with a sledgehammer. Why did they all show up? But they, that's the reputation that Samson had. And the Philistines wanted to take Samson in custody, and Samson voluntarily went with the, the people of Judah and surrendered himself. But of course, he was plotting again to get revenge. And so we find, and let's read it there in Judges 15, 14, and 15, as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. And by the way, they were shouting in victory. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. His ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a flesh of jawbone of the donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. You know, in, in um, preparation for the message, I, there's a particular, it was on Pure Flex, they've got a, a movie called Samson. I thought it'd be kind of nice to show a clip from Samson, you know, and just show it to you on the screen. 
I, it, it was so violent, I couldn't show it. I mean, I, I, look at that guy killing, you know, a thousand people with a jawbone. But it happened because of the power of God in his life. So, anger, vengeful anger. By the way, 99.9% of the time, anger always gets us in trouble. Anger, as I mentioned, escalates. Anger alienates. If you're an angry person, you're pushing people away. Proverbs 29:22 says, "An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot temper, hot-tempered person commits many sins." Proverbs 29:11, "A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control." Samson had so much potential, but fell so short. Why? Because he, he was flawed. Willful compromise, vengeful anger. There's a third one I'm going to mention, and that is prideful independence. Prideful independence. Samson, in fact, you almost could summarize his life. He, he was full of pride. He was really, he really thought he was something. <laughs> Large and in charge. A couple of examples. Samson never took advice. We have no, no record of him being taught or listening to someone and changing what he wanted to do. Samson was going to do what he wanted to do no matter what anybody else said. That's, going to, that's a guaranteed of a flawed leader. That's a guaranteed to not be successful. One example is the advice from his dad, right? His father and mother, way back, remember that when he saw the woman from... Now, Timnah, his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives and our, peop- our own people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson t- said to his father, forget it. Get her for me. He just didn't listen. Someone said this, good advice is like medicine. It does no good unless you take it. <laughs> and Samson didn't take advice. He was unteachable. Leaders that fail have a certain cockiness to them. They're overconfident. They may give you, oh, maybe polite listening, but they are completely bent on doing what they want to do, and there's no changing them. Second, he he always acted alone. And more than that, I would even add to that, he acted alone and I'm reading between the lines, and I'm going to explain this. He acted alone so he could get the credit. Okay? Here's an example. Look there on the screen. Finding a, finding a fresh jawbone, going back to the whole you know, donkey denture thing, okay? Finding a fresh jawbone of a, a, a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. I've read that. But notice... Samson comes up with his rap tune, all right? Here it is. When a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramoth Lehi. Now, here's the observation. If, if Samson's heart, heart was right, if he wasn't so prideful, when he, when he completed this great feat, you'd think he would turn to God and his rap tune would be, God, thank you for all you've done. 
all right? Thank you for the strength that you've, you've, you've made in my life. But in this, this verbiage of praise, it's who? It's all about him. If you just go through the story of Samson and, and look at how many times he uses the word I and my and me, it's all about him, the narcissist, the narcissist. Another thing, he never rallied the Israelites together. He never was a team player. From day one, Samson's mission was clearly stated. He was to rescue Israel from the Philistines. He was to get them together and and create a, a revolt and set them free, but we have no indication that he ever did that. In fact, the relationship between Samson and the children of God, or the Israelites, is suspect. Now, you say, why do you say that, Randy? Well, look at Judges chapter 15, 11. This is when the 3,000 came to, to get Samson to take him to the Philistines, okay? Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? Does that sound like they're part of the team? Does that sound like Samson and the, the Danites are working together? No. In fact, they're they're bugged that Samson's creating trouble for them. Hey, we are being ruled by the Philistines and you're messing things up, Samson. He was never able to bring people together and get the freedom that was needed. All right, I love iPads because it just went, okay. No, it's, that's interesting. All right, next one. You know, I'm, I'm just starting to use an iPad for my notes. There's th some things that you need to learn when you use an iPad. One is you, you, you can't have it shut off every three minutes. Okay? And uh, <clears throat> so anyways, here it is. The last example, he, he isolated himself. He isolated himself. Uh, one of the striking things about Samson's story is that we never see him with a friend. The Bible is full of examples of people that were successful that God used, and they always, they always had someone. Okay? Moses had Aaron. Um, Joshua had Caleb. David had Jonathan. Paul had Barnabas. Christ had the disciples. Batman had Robin. No, that's not in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> but we could just... Read past this, but in Judges 50, 11, where is he? This great man, this great judge that was to deliver the Danites, the people of Israelite from the Philistines, he's in a cave by himself. Judah went down to the cave in the rock at Edom. And Samson never knew the importance of having someone that could keep him accountable. He was accountable to nobody. Not even to God. He followed God when he wanted to and how he wanted to. He was all about himself. I love the reminder in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have no good return. Pardon me, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Samson was to be pitied. He had nobody to help him up.
Samson was a flawed leader. Why? Because he willfully compromised. He was vengeful at his anger. And he had this propensity for prideful independence. So what can we learn from Samson? And by the way, I mean, we could dismiss Samson, but you can't do that. The Bible said, remember the first verse we shared out of 1 Corinthians? This example is to teach us. There are some things that God wants you to, for you to learn today from Samson's life. If all you got here is more understanding of Samson and you leave, you wasted your time. What does God want you to learn from Samson's life? So here's some questions. Compromise. Are there any areas in my life that I'm compromising? Am I guarding my valley of Sarek? There's a reason there's a cement barrier on 97, right? So we don't get into head-on collisions. Are you, do you have barriers set up in your life, or are you compromising? What about anger? Am I struggling with resentment and anger? Who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to reach out to and reconcile with? Maybe this past week, you just had a huge blow-up. Don't act like it never happened. Go back and make it right. Make it right with your spouse. Make it right with your kids. Make it right with your coworkers. And then what about pride? Have I become too overconfident? Who is keeping me accountable? Do you have anybody in your life that you can kind of a go-to person? You can call up, good friend, honest, can give it to you straight, can give you a thumbs up and can give you a thumbs down. If you don't have that person, man, start working on it. Start working on it. Here's a saying. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Sin will keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Sin will cost you more than you wanted to pay. And we're going to see that in the life of Samson next week because he paid a tremendous cost because he was not willing to fully follow God. God wants us to be fully devoted followers of him. Amen? And anything that's keeping us back, he wants us to confess that and to allow him to work in a fresh way in our hearts and lives. Psalms 51, 10 and through 12, we're going to close with this verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Samson. We thank you for his life and even despite his flaws, you still used him. And Lord, we thank you that despite our flaws, that you can still use us. And Lord, we just ask today, that you would challenge us in our lives, in our integrity and how we're living. Lord, each one of us has a purpose. As our heads are bowed, if, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you need him. The only way we can live this, the, uh, uh, the life that we're called to is with his presence in our life and just say, Jesus, I, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I repent of my sins and things I've done wrong and come into my life and make me the person that you want me to be. And for those of us that already are Christ followers, just say, Lord, keep me from compromise. 
those things that I just let happen, those little fudges, those little rationalizations I'm making. Lord, help me to stay true to you. Forgive me for my anger, for my offenses, for my bitterness. Lord, help me to be humble. Forgive me for my pride and for my self-centeredness. Work in my life. Holy Spirit, change my life. And so, Lord, we just ask, even through some of the, just the, some of the negative examples that we shared today, that you would turn it into positives and that we become more like you. And it's all for your glory. And for this we pray, amen.